Hello and welcome to Improving Scottish Football. My name is Kieran, and today on the podcast, I'm joined by David Weatherston, who's an ex-professional footballer who played for the likes of Queen's Park, St. Johnson and Falkirk. David now lives in Norway and has become a bit of an expert on Norwegian football. So today on the podcast, we're going to talk about what Scotland could potentially learn from Norwegian football. So in particular, how the hell are they producing the likes of Haaland and Odegaard? How are their clubs like Bodo Glimt and Molde, who are from quite small towns, how are those clubs able to get to the the latter stages of European competitions? And why is the Norwegian TV deal so good and ours isn't? I was going to say something a little bit ruder there, but... um, (laughs) So please do share, subscribe and review. Uh, We're all on this journey together. And the more people that we can bring along on that journey, the better. Let's keep this going. Let's improve Scottish football. Right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I am delighted to be joined today by David Weatherston. David, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Good. Well, can we start out by you giving us a little bit of a, uh, a potted history, if, if you don't mind, on your kind of your career and, and obviously um, your connection to Scottish football? Yeah, I mean, um, I uh, current, well, currently living in Norway, which we'll, which we'll get on to, but um, ex-professional football in Scotland for uh, quite a few teams, a bit of a journeyman in the, in the lower leagues, shall we say. Um, started out at Queen's Park, came through the youth system there, and then made a whole load of first team appearances for them before moving professional with St Johnston. Um, and yeah, went to Queen of the South, Falkirk, God, Stellan Albion, Alloa, Breakin. Yeah, I've been I've been around a, a few different clubs and um yeah, since um since twenty fifteen I decided to to give up the football in Scotland and move to Norway with my Norwegian wife. And um since then just been Playing a little bit of football, but mostly just um, keeping busy watching it and keeping up with uh, back home and really getting into the Norwegian football out here. Nice. Well, one of the big reasons I wanted to get you on, David, is obviously being based in Norway. You know, you, you obviously watch football. You've got a good knowledge of Norwegian football, and you know, from the outside looking in, I can't help but think Norway are doing a lot of things right. You know, you look at the likes of. Obviously, obviously, the national team have got some superstars. Not that they're necessarily better in Scotland than Scotland, of course, but um, they're obviously producing some really talented players. And then you've also got their clubs like Bodo Glimt and Molde, who are making proper inroads in kind of European competition, despite the fact they're effectively from like relatively small towns. You know the size. Yeah. You know. Bodo Glimp is from, you know, a town the say the size of Perth. And I think Molde has got like twenty smaller. Yeah, it's yeah, like tw- twenty five thousand or something. Yeah, it's a very small town. Yeah, you know. Uh, incredible that these clubs are able to to do what they do. And from the outside looking in, I'm like, what is the magic sauce that they've that they've got going for them that they can constantly put together um some great results? You know, Bodo obviously the most famous one is beating Roma 6-1. Mm. You know, it's incredible. Um, and part of me just thinks, why can't our other Scottish clubs um, 
get to that level. Um, so obviously we're going to kind of dig into all of those things. Um, that was a bit of a brain dump for me, but let's, uh, let's focus, I guess, on some big picture stuff. Some, uh, I would love to hear your take on like some of the big differences that you've noticed, you know, between Scottish football and Norwegian football. I mean, the, I mean, the, the biggest difference, I guess, is, is the season that we play football in over here. It's a summer season. Season starts in April, finishes in about November. Um, completely different. I found it really, really difficult um, when I moved here to to get used to it. Um, I remember like, we'd, we'd start, start pre-season training in the first week in January and looking ahead to when the first game was, I'm like, well, it's three months away like what am I what am I getting fit for just now it's it's a really strange um strange thing to get used to um obviously the winters here um are a little bit different a lot more snow especially where I'm from I'm, I'm about halfway up the country near Trondheim a lot more snow than in Scotland colder definitely darker um as well so I think um that's probably the main difference is the season that we play and um Another main difference is the the facilities that we play on. Um, I know AstroTurf or artificial grass gets a really, really bad rep in Scotland. Um, I think it's a necessity. It's a necessity in Norway um, for a lot of the a lot of the country. And even if you look in the top league, I think I'm not. I can't remember exactly. I think it's eight or nine of the 16 teams in the top league play on artificial grass. Um, yes, there is a debate about it um, still, especially at the top level. Um, but I think it's definitely, as you go down the levels, it's, it's something that people just accept. It's necessary for um, training all year round to happen. Um, and uh, for clubs to be able to train on it not just the first teams but all the youth teams uh coming through as well i think um one of the the big differences between norway and scotland is just geographically and um, the population is almost identical but norway is really really big um country and a lot of the towns are kind of just dotted around quite a little space between towns a lot of space between the cities and I think what that leads to is a lot of a lot of clubs, local clubs that take in local players, and um, they're all part of the, the. It's kind of like a community club almost, and they and they all come through this this club, and um, several age groups in each town, and um, just playing football, and um, pretty much all year round, and um, with with maybe a break, um, in the middle of the winter, the summer season, you know. Um playing from April through to, what was it, November, did you say? Yeah, roughly, yeah. Yeah. This has obviously been kind of mooted about for, for Scotland as a potential option. Do you think there's any kind of merit in it? Do you think it would be potentially good for us? Um, I'm not sure how it would work in Scotland. I, th I think it's quite difficult to change. Um, just the number of games that we play in Scotland is completely different to, to over here as well. Um. If I think back to, to my time playing, especially one season at Falkirk, we we played um champ we got to the Champions Cup final. So that was I think five games. We got to the League Cup semi-final, so I think that was another maybe five games. How we got through a couple of rounds in the Scottish Cup. 
and we played 36 league games. It's a lot of games. Um, so I think we were in the region of about 50 games um, in a season. And to fit that into a summer schedule is very, very difficult. Um, I think over here, um, there's 16 teams in the league. They play each other twice, 30 games. There's one cup. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. that's definitely an issue. And also, the weather's so unpredictable. Like, to, to, you, you can get games called off all year round. Like, it's happened. You see it happening in Scotland quite often. The game called off in April, or a game called off in October. So, yeah. it's really difficult. It is really difficult to to try and fit that. And I, I can't see it changing. To be honest, I don't think it will ever change. Yeah, I, I don't think it will ever change. I mean, there there'd definitely be a couple of benefits to it for sure. Uh, one being that the European qualifiers, you know, clubs love to say, oh, the reason we're not qualifying for Europe is it's like our season's just begun. Um, we're out of, you know, we're not fully fit, et cetera, which frankly I think is, is, a, is a terrible excuse anyway because there's no good reason why you can't properly prepare. I think it's a bit of a cop-out. But anyway, it would at least remove that argument. Mm. The other thing is it could... Um, with the English Premier League not being on, again, assuming there's no Euros or World Cup, you could potentially get more of the TV pool. Um, so it could could raise the profile potentially. But yeah, it's a tricky thing to change. I think the TV TV is definitely one area where I'd like to talk about a little bit. I think it's it's um, something they do really well over here. Um, obviously, Scottish football is an absolute shambles. The TV deal. Um, <laughs> if, you're, if you're not a if you're not a fan of, of Rangers and Celtic, you'll get to see your team four times a year on TV. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll get a fifth one. <laughs> if you're a Hibson Hearts fan, you might get a couple of derbies. Just really, really poor. And sometimes they won't even show a game at weekend just because I don't know they just can't be bothered or there's too many good games down south or something. Just really disappointing. So. I know it's it, it's something that it's been talked about in Scotland, the kind of deal that Norway has. Um, basically, I can stream every single game. Um, so I get TV2, uh, which I think costs me about, I think it's about 350 kroners a month I pay. Um, it's about 30 quid. And that gets me, I can watch every single game uh, live or back in, in its completeness um, in the first two tiers. And also I can watch, I'm not sure if I can watch them back, but I can definitely watch them live pretty much every game from the third tier and almost every game from the fourth tier. Wow. Completely included. A lot of the coverage isn't great. And like as you go down the tiers, like it's just like one camera and, and one camera and one commentator. But I think it's a fantastic, a fantastic way to show football. That's um, that's that's brilliant. Yeah. Mm. So, did you say it was TV two? Yes, yeah, TV two. Yeah. So, so is, it's, it's, is that TV a linear two, channel, or is it, or is it pay per view? TV two is uh, like ITV almost, but it's like a plus version of that. It's like a, it's kind of like a, yeah, I guess what would you say, like that kind of red button type version, but it's okay. Mostly, so, so it's kind of like street. It's like streaming. It's, it's kind of like streaming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So probably not a million miles away from the whole centralized pay-per-view. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tra- kind of what, to... they, what they did during COVID, almost a bit like that, except you could only buy for one team. Yeah. Um. But then, um, but yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's just and a, it's a really and, good system. And and it's all centralized, obviously, which mm. which is brilliant. 
Yeah, because obviously what we've got in, in Scotland is you've got like 30-odd separate pay-per-view systems and it's a total mess. Um, yeah. I, d- I did a great episode with this uh, with Alex Marr, who does SPFL Media Watch on Twitter. Yeah. And he kind of explains all the TV deal and is like banging the drum on like, yeah. guys, why can't we just have some sort of centralized thinking on this as opposed to every club for themselves and not just well, know, i mean i we, think it's we know it, why don't we? <laughs> yeah. the, the, big, the big elephant in the room like we know why like i mean it, it's it's both a, a curse and a blessing for scottish football that we have two enormous clubs like there's absolutely no doubt that they bring a lot of good to scottish football bring fans they bring eyes on the league and bring a lot of good players a lot of good managers a lot of passionate supporters but they negatively affect a lot of the the other clubs. I think when it comes to when it comes to things like TV money, TV deals, um, and yeah, progression through through Europe. I think is also also something that those teams are really struggling with. And I think uh, I think that might have something to do with just the fact that uh, it's just such a golfing class in the league that. I don't know. I, I feel like the pressure on these clubs to try and perform in Europe when they get a chance is just maybe too much them or something. I'm not really sure what what uh, what it does, but yeah, I mean the the TV deal with it is definitely. I think Rangers and Celtic is is whether we like it or not, they they are definitely in charge of that whole situation. Yeah, one of the things that really needs to happen is the voting system needs to change. Yeah, you know, get away from this eleven to one system because as long as we've got that nothing will ever change and it'll just be kind of same old same old but there are ways of making it attractive for celtic and rangers you know yeah absolutely even even if it results in you having to give them money you know or you know a good obviously share of the pot etc but you know a rising tide lifts all ships you know it would be good for the game overall to to collectively do something together um and yeah i love the idea of of, of what you've said about tv2 in norway that sounds perfect mm, yeah yeah absolutely i think i mean rangers and celtic you would think could only benefit themselves from added competition in uh in scotland yeah, yeah. um but yeah it's difficult like you, you've got a, a couple of fan bases who are so used to success and so used to being mm. the best it's, it's difficult to difficult to try and encourage them to see see the bigger picture for the whole of Scotland when uh, I think they're probably more set on getting even better and then potentially yeah going somewhere else one thing you've said to me before when we when we were chatting before we, we came on was something that Norway does really well um, that Scotland could potentially learn from is how they get good players into the league in that they use they advertise it as a stepping stone league. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? I think what's happened recently in Norway is, is I mean, very recently, even since I started coming here or started living here, is that players have started getting sold abroad, um, especially to the Netherlands and to Belgium. Um, that's been the two really main uh, pathways. So I think what's what Norwegian football is is been good at has been taking out talent from 
even lower countries than Norway. So they've been particularly good at targeting the African market, which I think has worked really well for them recently. Um, when you look at guys like um, Victor Boniface, who's now absolutely banging them in for Leverkusen after a spell at Union Saint-Gilles, that was after a spell at Bode Um Also, um, David Fofana, who is, um, was at Molde, and he went to Chelsea for 10-odd million. Um, there's another one who you might have heard of, Gift Orban. He's been banging them in in, in the Belgium for um, Ghent, I think, or Genk. One of those. <laughs> one of <laughs> yeah. the Gens. Um, he was previously here at um, Dabak. Um, so he was in the Oberst League as well. So he, he got his opportunity in the second tier, but uh, got his move off the back of that and been unbelievable. So yeah, I think what's happened re- very recently, kind of last five years, is, is there's been this stepping stone and it's been a consistent um, place for transfers. So players from lower clubs in Norway see the opportunity to go to better clubs in Norway and use that as a stepping stone, but also players from particularly Sweden and Denmark. And it's been a handful from other countries, but particularly Sweden and Denmark, I've seen opportunities at some of the better uh, elite seeding clubs. to make a name for themselves and and realize that the clubs will sell you and they're not going to hold on to you and, and hold you to ransom and, and they're, they're, they're you know they're happy to happy to let you go for it for a proper fee and uh, reinvest that money in other players to then you know hopefully do the same thing um i think it's it's something the board agreement have done absolutely fantastically recently and it's probably the well one of the main reasons why they're sitting in such a good position um financially and competitively um, they're in conference league uh, group stages again and um, top of the top of the league currently again in Norway. Yeah I was having a little spy at Budo's um, kind of transfer um, ha- happenings mm. <laughs> um, outgoings and yes. it seems that like for the past three or four years they're regularly selling a few players every year for kind of four to seven million pounds. Mm you know, in, in that kind of ballpark. And so they've obviously got a very clever um, player trading model, as, mm-hmm. as you've said, which is targeting emerging markets that, that some of the bigger leagues aren't, aren't doing, and then selling them on for, for a good profit. And part of me wonders whether Scotland is still a little bit too proud Mm. to acknowledge and to advertise ourselves as a as a, as a player trading uh, yeah. and and as a stepping stone market. Yeah. I do wonder I do wonder that uh, if that is a thing if we are too proud because I think if you look I mean if you take away Rangers and Celtic because Rangers and Celtic's financial clout and attendance figures and stuff is absolutely miles ahead of anything in Norway and Bode Glimt. I think their stadium holds eight thousand. Moldes is about ten thousand. Um, just completely different ballpark. So if you look at teams like Hearts, like Aberdeen, uh, like Hibs, um, who was the last player they sold for more than I, I, I mean, um, at more than three million pounds? I, I don't, I don't know if that's a thing that's happened recently, but definitely nowhere near the money that guys like. Um, uh, Eric Botheim, uh, Bodegum signed him in a free the year after they sold him for about seven and a half million euros. 
Um, Hugo Vettelis and they signed him for about three or four hundred thousand euros and sold him for about eight million. Um, two years later, uh, yeah, just like I just can't, I can't remember, I can't remember that ever happening in Scotland apart from reading the Celtic to a yeah. player, a player who comes into the league makes such an impression that a club goes right, we'll sell you, but like we're going to make sure we get our money here. I feel like it. I feel like players like. I know this is probably a bad example, like but Kevin Van Veen was he one of the top scorers last year? How much did they sell him for? Like a hundred fifty thousand or something, like two hundred fifty thousand or something stupid. It was like yeah, I think it was about half a million, maybe. Oh, okay, half a million. But like, if, I, yeah, I guarantee if he'd come to Norway and scored that many goals in the elite stadium, he would have been sold for upwards of like upwards of two million. Just, just I think it's just a little bit because of what's happened recently, very recently with players. In Norway, going for that price, but also just like Scottish football, I just don't think they value, they don't value their players at all. But mm-hmm. also, yeah, they don't advertise themselves as a stepping stone, which they absolutely should because they have got the most lucrative league in the world just down the road. Whether we like it or not, the English league is the most lucrative league in the world. They're going to players desperate to go there. Scottish football should be like, come to us. We'll give you a year if you do really well. Look, there's a big league down south. They'll, they'll be desperate to take you if you if you score. Yeah, you know, come to us and score twenty goals. Like you might not get a move to Man United, but you might pick up a little move to like a Norwich or a or a Burnley or something, and then that's you in the door. I just think Scottish football should definitely, definitely look at that. Look at that. Um, yeah, look at that. The bigger picture and just realize look we're not going to be the best league in the world but we can be a really really important stepping stone to one of the biggest leagues in the world yeah completely agree and when i'm talking about us still being a bit proud i think that it's still a legacy from like the 90s and early 2000s when we did have the likes of gascoigne and loudrop and larson where we could hold on to the some of the world's best talents in our league and it's probably something that still pains us um especially i guess those you know maybe from a slightly older generation to see us kind of fall away and no longer be considered um yeah one you know one of the world's major um places to come and play football yeah i wonder if um aberdeen are beginning to do things slightly better um i don't know if you've kind of had an eye on 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 their transfer policy uh, this yeah. year but they seem to be signing a lot of really interesting young ish talent mm. from uh, a lot of kind of eastern european leagues you know your your macedonia's slovenia slovakia and you know a lot of them they're you know they, they might be spending you know half half a million pounds on um mm. and also you've got the likes of duke etc and miovsky I think I I wonder whether they're they've they've had a good think over the last year or so and really tried to adapt their strategy to to try and sell more players in that kind of four to seven million pound bracket that we were kind of talking about for Norway. Yeah. I mean, they sold Lewis Ferguson for I think he was under three million. Mm-hmm. Um, He's Calvin, absolutely doing brilliantly. Oh my, so, I know, yeah. incredible. You know, and Calvin Ramsey, I think he was about four. But I'm I'm wondering whether that's given them a taste for, um, ah, actually we should be trying to implement this yeah. player trading model. And and I'm also going to talk about you know this isn't just for the likes of Aberdeen and the rest of the SPFL. 
Celtic and Rangers, again, they need to be targeting every Scottish club should have a player trading model where every year Celtic and Rangers are looking to sell a Jota or an Abada mm. for, you know, 20, 25 million pounds. And it shouldn't be viewed as a bad thing to be losing our no. talent. No. It should be like, come to Scotland for two years. We'll give you a great platform. You can go play in Europe. You can, you know, improve under us. And then you will go with our best wishes. Yeah. And I think that is a really good point, um, especially when it comes to Rangers and Celtic, because they're, they're so dominant in Scotland um, that I don't, like, I feel like they just don't want to sell their best players. And, and what they, sh they should absolutely be doing is being like, yeah, oh, uh, Abada, yeah, he's like, what, 22 or something in Abada, 22, 23? He's had a couple of good years. I'm pretty sure if they if they wanted to, they could have sold him for a lot of good money. But they, they feel like, Cel like Celtic Rangers are so desperate to, so desperate to have that success now that they have to, the pressure is so intense to win the league and both cups like to beat each other in the old firm it's, it's, it's like nothing else like it's, it's so important to win now that they just don't have that time to to be like oh yeah Abada brilliant you've done brilliant for us off you go uh, we'll just invest in this like 21 year olds and hopefully he's just as good kind of thing like I think they just don't like, and, and I think that's obviously really important like the pressure uh, the pressure these guys are under Rangers and Celtic, but not just those two, like uh, the pressure in Aberdeen and Hearts and Hibs to finish third, to finish fourth is huge. And I think, I think that's what holds, holds them back as well. It makes them a little bit skeptical about, about making those things. Cause in Norway, like the pressure's just nowhere near the same, absolutely miles from the same, like, like we talked about Bodeglain, Tottenham and Molde, like, Bodeglain were in the second tier like five years ago. So they gave Sheffield, yeah, Sheffield Knudsen a chance to be the manager. And he's been absolutely brilliant. He's been given time to build up and time to, to, to implement his style of play. And that's what's created an environment for players to flourish and to then get sold on. And I think the same in Molde. They've got a manager who's been there for a good few years now, Erling uh, Moa, who is encouraged to play young players who are brought to the club. Sivet Mansvert um, was bought from Songdal about two years ago. Next big thing in Norway, 18 years old, this guy's going to be good. Goes to Molde, which I think a lot of people were like, oh, I could have got something better. It's been brilliant for Molde for two years. He's just moved for 8 million euros to Ajax. Like, that's exactly the type of thing that Rangers and Celtic should be looking to do. And not just them, Aberdeen, Hibs, Hearts, all the Scotch teams they should be looking at. Talented young players who, I mean, Scotland has a lot of talent. There's absolutely no doubt about it. There's a lot of talent, but there's not a lot of young Scottish players playing at the top level in Scotland. And I think that just boils down to the pressure and the sheer uh, to need to be for the teams at the top to win the league, two teams at the top to win the league, the next four to finish third or fourth, and then the next ones to somehow survive in the Premiership year on year. Just to make sure they don't drop into the championship, which I know I've listened to you talking to Dev McDonald, or you talked about you talked about the championship, and it's just like it's so difficult to get out of. Like I was there, I played seven seven years in the championship. I finished 
third place five years or something. And then just as I left, uh, just as I left, the playoffs came in. So that was that was fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's a really tough league to get out of. It still is tough even with the playoffs. So yeah, I just think the pressure to to, to somehow like survive as clubs, it just it leads to decision making much more short termism than the than the long term, which I think the the, the less pressure Norway allows. Yeah, you're you're completely right. Um... There is so much pressure on, you know, in within Scotland football just to win at all costs, and it um, it doesn't lend itself well to to playing youngsters or trying to like implement a style, style. Or, or an, yeah. an identity of playing, and it's yeah, it, it it's it's frustrating because it just it seems yeah. to just be the same old same old kind of style, um, and. I don't think like the pundits are particularly helpful as well. And no. and there's always a lot of emphasis on like mentality and yeah. form and all this sort of stuff. But actually, you know, maybe yeah. uh, there's some other things that really uh, we could do with, with yeah. improving. Yeah, I think like like you look at both the Gwent, they've got a distinct style, um, 4-3-3, high press, kind of attacking football. And I think... Um, Bran is another really good example. They get relegated. They came back up with a new style, with all these young guys. Like, oh, this is this is brilliant. Like, like look at all these young guys playing. Like David Miller Wolf, uh, David Miller Wolf. Uh, I think he just moved to AZ. Um, you've got uh, yeah, yeah. You've got guys in midfield who somebody else in midfield who moved. I can't remember exactly, but yeah, just like a load of young guys who just look. Right, they've been given a ch- chance to play. They've been given a, a a way to express themselves with nice attacking football, and I think I think that's when that's when talent flourishes. Like I think, obviously, Holland and Udegaard are really really extreme examples. It's obviously extreme talent, but at the same time, Udegaard was sixteen years old when he was in that first team as a regular, like. Because that like that doesn't really happen in Scotland. I can't remember like that really happening that often. Maybe once or twice. It's been one or maybe one or two. But even then, like I don't remember them going on to, to great things like um and uh, Holland as well. Like just like Molde, one of the biggest clubs in the country. Like as a 16, 17 year old, I think he was seventeen when he was playing at Molde. Just like in you go, son. Like I can see you're good enough, or or at least. I can see that you're going to be good enough. Like here, here you go. Here's some time. Here's a little bit of pressure off you. Like go and play, and uh, yeah, it leads to it leads to guys who get some, get that experience as kids. Obviously, those are two extreme examples who are extremely talented and obviously extremely dedicated. But um, yeah, I just think the the environment here definitely lends itself more towards allowing young young players to develop their talent and then. Um, I don't think, I don't think Norway's Norway's definitely not more talented than Scotland. Like in terms of player, is at a young age, but I definitely think it it's definitely allows allows uh, allows their players to flourish more um, through the yeah through, through game time. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean that yeah. that is obviously the the old uh, the old. Um, second second teams uh i don't know oh, yeah. <laughs> in, in norway which is obviously a massive yeah. a massive talking point in scotland but 
it's something that it's something that I I don't hate. Uh, it's something that I think works okay in Norway. There is definitely issues with it, um, and there's definitely a lot of talking point about it. But it gives players an opportunity to play against men, which is from a young age, and I think that's got something to be said about it. Yeah, so competitive you know, football as well. Yeah, so you're you're saying the likes of Haaland and Odegaard are you know when they were young they were getting proper first team football in the Norwegian top flight, and there's no doubt that that obviously helped them develop and 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 be be really. I mean, I they're strong, right? That that's yeah. one of the key things about these guys. And when I say strong, I don't mean just like physicality, but like you can tell them. You know the mental side of the mental, game, like, yeah, yeah. yeah that you know, n- there's no messing around. And these guys are, are top. I, in terms of sixteen-year-olds, actually, one of the one of the few Scottish potential success stories this year is Lennon Miller, I think, at, at Motherwell, because mm. he's only sixteen and he's playing pretty much every game. And right, he's scored. He's doing in, in, incredibly well. So. Yeah, we just need to see more of this sort of stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, we just have to hope the opportunities are there. And I think, I think it comes as well with with managers who are willing to play them. And I played, um, I played with Stuart Kettlewell um, at Queens Park, and he came through that Queens Park system, which is absolutely well. It was sorry, it was uh, when I was there. It's absolutely reliant on its youth system. 100% was reliant on us as young players getting into the first team and being good enough. Kets was one of them. He was one of them who was good enough and he was part of that team that got promoted like with a, a whole bunch of guys who went on to play top-level football in Scotland. Um, and I think he probably appreciates that, how important that is, probably more so than other managers who maybe, who maybe yeah, didn't come up through that kind of system. Mm. Yeah. You mentioned about obviously Bodo Glimt um, and Bran and Mulder. You are obviously kind of highlighting the fact that they all have like quite clear identities and very specific styles of play, which is kind of inbred into their, um, you know, into the club as a whole. Because again, mm-hmm. this is another potential issue is that, you know, we have a bit of a manager as God approach in Scotland. Yeah. Uh, probably not, not just us, you know, but it's your head coach really should, you should be able to swap one out for the next one coming in and your, and your team continuing to still play a specific style um, of football rather than Someone comes in, you know, Sean Maloney comes into Hibs and is going to, uh, you know, do a passing game. Uh, oh, scrap that. Um, let's get uh, Jack Ross in. And, mm. oh, scrap, scrap, you know, there, yeah. there needs to be something that goes beyond yeah, a specific absolutely. manager. So, so do, how, do you have any idea how, how these clubs have had these identities kind of bred into them? Is it that they've had, like, good strategic direction from, like, board level or... Has it just? Do you think these things have just kind of developed naturally? Is yeah, there more of a? I think, I think it's been quite natural. Um, in the case of um, those three, I think Bodeglint especially. Just I think Sheffield has been there for a few years now. Now he's not. Um, he didn't 
he wasn't a manager before uh, at the top level. He was kind of, I think he was assistant at Boulder. He was definitely the Boulder number two manager. So they knew what he was. He was kind of like, a, he was inbuilt in the system and he came came through and they knew what his ideas were all about. And I think Boulder now, if they do lose Knudsen, they'll be in a good position to appoint somebody probably from within or potentially somebody who they know has the same outlook and same style as, she- as Sheffield. So I think theirs is much more, um, uh, yes, probably it's probably much more sustainable. Um, Molda, I think just like Ellen Molda has just been, a, been about the club for a good few years now and just has his, I think he's he's very much the manager there and he knows what he wants. And I think um, Bran as well, they, I think with Bran, a little bit different. They got relegated and they realised, right, we need to do something. Like, we've just been hanging about relegation for a while. Brand's a massive club um, in Norway. It's one of the biggest clubs. Um, they shouldn't have been relegated, but they were kind of kind of flirting with it for a few years and, and, and they went down. And I think at that point, they were like, right, we need to do something here. This is not working long term. So so they appointed Eric, Eric Hornerland and, and he's implemented this high-pressing attacking football. And I think I hope that uh, what it leads to for Brand is, is is similar similar results to what's happened at Boulder, and that's like a sustainable model where they can they can impress that on the whole uh, whole thing. I think um, quite a good like negative example of it recently is like it's been Rosenborg. Mm-hmm. Um, like Rosenborg, obviously traditionally Norway's biggest club um, in the nineties, Champions League runs to the quarterfinal. Um, Financially, the biggest club in Norway still, um, budget-wise. But they've been stuck in a, a kind of... So t- t- Trindelag, the region where I'm from, basically all the way through the 90s and up through the noughties and the 10s, it's been like a 4-3-3. It's been like inbuilt in the whole region. Like everyone is playing a 4-3-3 because Rosenborg's playing a 4-3-3 and everyone is like building towards like this this Rosenborg model. And I think they've just become so stuck in a in a like we have to play four three three no matter what. Like we've not they've just not moved on at all. And a lot of their signings actually this year they've done or not this year so much, but the last couple of years they've done a little bit better signing younger players. But but if you look at their transfers like in the last like, five years been a lot of older players and it's just not worked at all and it's put set them back quite badly so I think that they've been like right what do we do here and they've turned again they've, they've gone right okay but we'll have a look at other clubs and what we need to do is sign younger players hopefully we can sell them on and then uh, we can build up from there again and and, and yeah we, we don't we don't get stuck in a, a kind of uh yeah, eternally just playing this system that we have to play because it's tradition and, and bringing these older managers in. They had a couple of really old, kind of old school managers recently as well, which didn't work out. And I think they've, they've gone to a younger guy who's uh, who's more local to Rosenborg as well. And, and I think I think uh, I think they're on the right track again. It may take a few years, but I think um, I think that's something that they're they're on the right track with. That's really interesting. Yeah, I I was at the um. I was at the Hearts Rosenberg game um, at Tynecastle, and yeah, they have um, a sixteen-year-old in the you know in central mid, yeah, who by all accounts was man of the match, you know, in Trondheim. He was brilliant, and, yeah, yeah, 
and was good again at Tynecastle. Uh, while I butcher his pronunciation, Sver <laughs> Sver Nipan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Sver Nipan is uh, yeah, Sven sixteen Nipan. local boy, um, just extremely talented. But yeah, again, given the opportunity to play, um, he made his debut last season um, when he was sixteen. It might have actually been fifteen when he made his debut. I think it was. He was fifteen. He made his debut last season. Um, just extremely talented. But yeah, you don't see many 16 year olds getting in as you say and especially not like for like Rangers and Celtic like the boy Dolk and played a few times last year for Celtic um, and he's obviously looks like he's gone on to make a really big step which is great yeah, for yep. Scotland yeah. Um, um, but yeah Nipan is, is fantastic little talented footballer and looks looks like he's got the mentality for, for the for the big occasion so hopefully hopefully he can um, Hopefully he can kick on. I think um, as well, he just signed a new contract and I think he's got a really good head in his shoulders and hopefully, and he realises as well, like his opportunity right now is is right here. Like he's got a great chance to play for Rosenborg for the next year. And if he does well, then, then he'll get himself a really good play. Mm -hmm. Talking about like good heads on, on shoulders. One thing I was reading about Bodo is that, um, as well as obviously getting, you know, a lot of young players uh, through, they also offer counselling sessions and that that's quite a key part of developing players, which I don't know if we really do that in Scotland. Um, if we do, it's probably on a very individual uh, basis on a like needs must. But I love that side of, of, of things, I, you know, because I think mentality obviously yeah. is, is so important, not just for football, but, yeah. you know. It's, I it's, think it's, that's yeah. been really pushed up in Boulder by Knudsen. Uh, they're kind of bringing a psychologist on board, offering players mental like, opportunities to talk talk about their personal problems and stuff. And I think that's been really pushed up there, which is a really good thing. I agree with you. And that's really important as well. I think it's yeah important for, for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. There's um there's so much good stuff that's kind of happening um over in over in Norway and um Thanks, David. You've kind of highlighted a quite quite <laughs> quite a long list there of, of, yeah, uh, of some interesting forever, stuff. Honestly. <laughs> I think like what just just briefly like one thing that is so good here that I really really drives me mental back home is just like the accessibility of pitches. For like I can I can walk two minutes down the road. I've got like a wee seven aside pitch which is just open. Ashutarf goals are up. Seven aside goals are up. Nets and everything. I could walk down to Levanger, Levanger, who are a third third tier team uh, here. They're just about to get promoted, actually, to the second tier. I could jump on the pitch and kick a few balls if it, in at the goals if I wanted, like during the day, like not a problem. Like it's just everything's just open. Like go and play really? football. Really? Yeah, just yeah, go and play football. It's not a problem. Like wow. Yeah, it's it's something that really annoys me about Scotland, which is like seeing all these locked gates and and lack of opportunities for guys. Like I know we talk about people who don't really want to go out and play football, but. I I do think if you had the opportunity to go out, let's just say I don't know, let's who's got an after pitch, Kelly. Like I'm, maybe 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 it's a bad example. Kelly's maybe a little bit too big, but if Kelly had like a training pitch beside the ground and kids could just go on and kick balls into the goals during the day, I think that would I think that would encourage kids out of the house a bit more than than uh, just a jumpers for a goalpost situation. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, and so they don't. Um, I mean, do you have things like? you know, kind of like power leagues and like, you know, proper five-a-side no. stuff that 
No. Not at so, all. So if you wanted to play five aside with your mates, you would literally just walk on to like a local AstroTurf. You could do that. Yeah. I think it's the opportunity to like rent out like like space on the pitch, like play across the pitch. But if it's empty, yeah, you can just jump on. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got such a history of, you know, no ball games, you know, that, yeah, that sort absolutely, of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, just a, a quick personal anecdote. I, I live on a kind of, uh, on a development and we've literally outside my house, we've got a lovely big patch of grass, which is perfect for playing football. And some kids were out playing football and someone wrote a letter to like uh, the factor who controls it and says, in the deeds, there's no uh, ball games allowed on the thing. And it was like, what on earth? Like, how I, I, how sad do you need to be yeah. to try and stop kids seen, playing? I know, seeing joy and kids and being like, oh, God, it's not that immediately. Yeah, yeah. Get that, kick that in the butt. Yeah, that's really, that's really sad. That's really sad. Yeah. Well, we won out in the end. We everyone kind of jumped on, <laughs> on this bandwagon and and made sure that they felt um, ridiculous for for complaining about kids playing. Um, but anyway, I digress. So a final thought for me, you know, I, I just would love to see Scotland, you know, looking abroad, looking at the likes of Norway and just, you know, cherry picking some of the best stuff that's, that, is, that is happening. Obviously not taking on everything that Norway's doing, but um, there's, there's, loads, there's loads of good stuff. And I'd also love to see some more Scandinavian coaches come to Scotland as well. It surprises me that we've only really had, you know, in the past 15, 20 years, Ronnie Dyla, right? He's kind of the only guy who's come across, and I'm surprised no one's made more of a play for, you know, Knutson, uh, Bodo, or uh, I mean, even you know the manager who was in charge of Hacken, you know, who knocked you know Aberdeen out. Um, oh. th- there's there's really clearly some some good you know tactical, good quality coaches. I would love to see more um, some some new ideas shall we say and yeah. I, I know that Aberdeen were apparently interested in bringing uh, the Lillestrom manager uh, Gea Baca across uh, he's actually just moved to Wallinger but uh, Aberdeen apparently were interested in him but that didn't materialise and they went uh, to the tried and trusted of uh, uh, someone in the house who has yeah made a good impression as a caretaker someone it's who knows well. someone who knows the club yeah it's gone really which, well. is, which is the most important <laughs> thing in Scotland football. Yeah, in Scotland. Football. Um, great. Okay. Well, before I let you go, David, I'm going to ask you the question I ask every guest, which is: if you had a magic wand and you could change one thing about Scottish football, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know, and I'm <laughs> in danger of stealing stealing some ideas here. But um, yeah, I think I would just. I would just like to see a more even playing field across uh, across the top clubs. I know that that is impossible, um, but I've got a magic wand, so I would just like to see go into a season and just and 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 not know, not know who's going to win the league. I've let, yeah, in my life, it has happened in my lifetime, has it? Actually, it's not happened in my lifetime. It's not happened in my lifetime. I was born in '86. I've never ever seen anyone else win the top division in Scotland. So yeah, just just I would love it just for other. I think, and I don't think it's so much Rangers and Celtic 
coming down to the rest. I think it's just the rest finding ways to become more successful, to become more financially um, successful, and and yeah, try competing, competing more at, at the top. And I think uh, yeah, I think I think my time in Norway has really shown that um, a league where you have no idea who's going to win it at the start. Like I've already since I've moved here, there's been three different champions. Um, Rosenborg, Molde, and Bodeglint. This year, it's looking, it's looking like B King might might uh, win it as well. Um, and yeah, at the start of the season as well, you, you couldn't have you couldn't have ruled out a couple of other teams. So I think I think that's that's the big one for me. Just slightly more competitive uh, top flight. Yeah, that's a good answer. I think you know, and and in terms of trying to find you know, the answer to that in, in, in trying to make that happen. I really do think Norway is, is a great place to look at this because yes, they don't have Celtic and Rangers, you know, two incredibly huge clubs that obviously Norway doesn't have, but Bodo, as you say, were in the second tier and they completely rethought how they were doing things and they, and they became champions and. And they've qualified through group stages. Like they've been in the final knockout stages, both them and Molde in the last uh, three years, they've both been in the final knockout stages of European competitions, which apart from Asian Celtic, I don't, I don't, yeah, it doesn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, even so, well, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say even Celtic and Rangers. I mean, obviously Rangers had their run, but yes. um, I can't remember the last time Celtic got to a quarter final of, you know, of, of a European competition. No. So, um, I would love to see the likes of Aberdeen Hearts, Hibs, and and the other clubs. You know, really look at so what what some of these Norwegian clubs are doing because yeah, there's a lot to be learned. Um, great. Is there anything else that you would like to talk about, David? Before before we hang up, I, mean, I, I could talk about football all night. I don't get the chance very often uh, over here, so yeah, I could. But I'm gonna say that hopefully that's enough content uh, for your for your podcast tonight. It is. It is. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And yeah, um, me too. Thanks very much. We um, well, I'll definitely get you back on uh, at some point um, if you if you're up for it. Yeah, when Norway win the uh, World Cup in twenty thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Well, um, thanks, David, and uh, thank you to everyone who is listening. <laughs> <laughs>